The strategies and concepts discussed are for educational purposes only and do not represent specific investment tax or estate planning advice. Investing carries an inherent element of risk, and it is in everyone's best interest to consult tax, legal, or an investment professional. John Cindia is an investment advisor representative of, and advisory services are offered through USA Financial Securities, member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. LifeStages Advisory, Dean, and Remington are not affiliated with USA Financial Securities. Hi, I'm John Cindia with WTF, Wealth Taxes and Finances. This is our 34th episode. And uh, I have, before we start, you're going to, this is paper, okay? This is the old guard. The young guys, the techies, want me to stop playing with paper. They hear paper shuffling in the background. They've had friends tell them about it. Well, this issue's for you, okay? I will be getting iPads so that we'll be looking at this stuff. But today, we're going to- Still on paper? Yes, it's still on paper. So you're 300 questions on paper. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, this is, uh, we're going to go through 300 questions in six and a half minutes, okay? We're going to see if these guys can, uh, are up for it. Anyway, we've got 20 questions here. And I hope everybody else can derive something from this because these are questions that I get as a tax preparer and a financial advisor all the time. And as simple as what's the difference between net and gross and what are these taxes for and what's that for and is this going to help or anything or whatever. So we're going to get right to it, guys. Okay. Are these going to be multiple choice like last time? Or? Multiple guess, yeah. Okay, so I've, I'm good with those. Okay, I've got Rem. Dean's behind the camera again. Say hi, Dean. Dean waved, okay? I'm All really right. far away from the mic. <laughs> yeah. All right, when you get a job, FICA taxes are deducted from your paycheck. These taxes are your employee contributions to what? Medicare and unemployment insurance? Oh, here's a good one. The president's annual vacation, (laughs) unemployment insurance and Social Security, or Medicare and Social Security. Ding, 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 ding. I'm going to go with what was A again? (laughs) I said A last, but Medicare and Social Security, Medicare and unemployment insurance, unemployment insurance and Social Security, or the president's annual vacation. Annual. Uh, he goes on vacation once a week. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's not the right answer. Uh, the one with uh, Medicare and Social Security. What was the other one with Social Security on there? Uh, the other one was Unemployment Insurance and Social Security. I'm going to go with the uh, one that Dean went with. Okay, that's the right one. It's Medicare and Social Security. The FICA taxes that you see are broken down. 6.2% is FICA. In other words, that's for Social Security. 1.45% is taken out for uh, Medicare, okay? So that's when you get 7.65% and the employer matches that amount and that is what goes in then to pay your Social Security when you retire and at 65, you become eligible for Medicare, that pays for that, so. Okay, so you got one right, ding, ding. Okay, here, paper paper rustling, okay? I. That's the number two. Which of the following best describes gross income? This is where I said before, people get gross income, uh, net income uh, mixed up all the time. The amount of earnings that remains after all taxes and deductions have been taken, the total amount of earnings before any taxes or deductions are taken, your total income minus taxes, or gross income is the same thing as your take-home pay. 
And I've heard all of these. <laughs> um, and there's only one right answer. I'm going to go with B and just hope that that's right. <laughs> Gro- gross incomes before taxes. That's what that one was. Is right? that a question or a statement? It's a statement. Okay. <laughs> well, you were reading this I out of order. Right. B was one where it's before I deductions. didn't say what I'm going to do. You just have to remind. All right. Uh, the total amount before deductions are taken. That's right. That's gross income. Um, people will say, you know, what, what do I make? And all they remember is what they take home. And it's like, no, your gross is what would be asked if you go to file for a mortgage um, you get paid, uh, this, uh, the total or the largest amount is what you're getting paid. Then they take your 401k, then they take your taxes out. Then they take all these other deductions that you might have for savings accounts or whatever, whatever you end up having your check or your, uh, your, uh, deposit being at payday, that is your net. That's what you live off of. Okay. So that's the difference. All right. Number three. When you work as an employee, which of the following forms does your employer have you submit to determine the correct amount of federal tax to withhold from your pay? IRS Form 1099, 1098, W-2 or W-4? W-2? Okay. Uh, That's, no, wait, no. Look, he's I'm glossed over back here. He's, wait. Dean's back here playing poker with me. He's staring me down trying to figure out. W-2 is the only one I've ever heard of. (laughs) So I'm just going to go with W-2. So what's the question again? Um, Let's see. When you work as an employee, which of the following forms does your employer have you submit to determine the correct amount of federal tax to pay or to withhold from your paycheck? Three, two. 1099. One. Eh, on both of them, oh, okay. God. It's the W four. It's that stupid thing they give you at the that beginning of the year, <laughs> and you know people go, "Oh my God, what's going on?" Usually, if you, um, you know, it's like merit zero. Do I claim exemptions? The more exemptions you claim, the less they take out, and the more you'll probably owe. So it's a it's a little burst, a little bit of inverse. Oh, I want to claim as many as I can. That'll help me with taxes. If you claim more, they take out less tax, okay? And we've got some people that, you know, make a couple hundred thousand a year and they take nothing out and they pay 80,000 at the end of the year. And it's like, all right, whatever. I've got people <laughs> Go doing, ahead and do it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I can't even believe the employer took the thing, you know? But the W-2 is at the end of the year, what you have uh, to use to report your taxable income on your form 1040 when you file for your tax return. 1099 is if you're self-employed. It's a 1099. They say miscellaneous income. You uh, you have to claim oh, yeah. that. Yeah, now and, I know. Yeah, yeah, now you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the 1098 actually is what you use. Um, it will give you your mortgage interest and your real estate mm. taxes from your uh, mortgage at the end of the year. Okay. So, so it's, are you it's, guys? Yeah, I'm keeping score over okay. here. It's two to two. Two to Between, two? Yeah. We've missed one question each. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. I hope. Well, well you missed that one. You missed that one. Yeah, we both we did. We both did. Oh, yeah. you, okay. So yeah. it's, what right. number is this? Four? This, this will be four. Okay. A health insurance deductible is best described as the amount they take from your check to provide you with health insurance, the annual amount you are required to pay out of pocket for health care expenses before your insurance kicks in, the amount you pay at the doctor's office each visit, 
the total amount you can be required to pay for your health care in any given year. Health insurance deductible. What was the first option? Uh, the amount they take from your check to provide you with health insurance. And option two. What was that one? Annual amount you're required to pay out of pocket before oh. your insurance kicks in. Uh, that's your copay, right? Don't. I don't know. A, uh, I'm going to go with A. You're going to go with A. Okay. I'm going with B. Okay. B is the answer. Ow. Boom. Okay. It's out of pocket. It's insurance deductible. So every time you go, um, when you were talking about a copay, that's every time you go to the doctor's office, you'll have a copay. Oh, okay. Okay. And then the insurance, the deductible is, uh, say it's $1,000 a year. Um, that's what you have to have out of pocket. And then they'll gotcha, start kicking gotcha, in gotcha. For, the, for the other stuff. Okay. Okay. You still got that? Uh, you're tallying it up Three there? Three to two. Okay. Me. A health insurance copayment is best defined as, hmm, your share of health insurance premiums as deducted from your paycheck, a fixed dollar amount that you pay each time you visit the doctor, a fixed dollar amount you pay toward each medical service you receive after your plan's deductible has been satisfied, and a pool of money established under the Affordable Care Act. C. Big old C. C is it. A fixed dollar amount, a health insurance copayment. A fixed dollar amount you pay toward each medical service you received after your plan's deductible has been satisfied. When you... But you don't pay the same copay amount at the beginning of the year. Okay. What is a grace period on a credit card? Okay. Number of days after making a purchase on your credit card before that amount is subject to insurance charges. The time during which you pray very hard you will have the money to pay your balance. I might as well just pick that one. <laughs> the length of time between billing due dates on your credit card during which no interest charges accrue or the time between your credit card due date and the date you were reported late to the three major credit bureaus, loser. That's why. <laughs> I don't think you want to be that last one. No, no. I'm. I'm actually going to go with D. I, th I it, I'm thinking it's either C or D. Okay. I think it's the the time before your your late what was, is reported. What was option A again? The number of days after making a purchase on your credit card before that amount is subject to interest charges. Oh, uh, re what was C? Uh, length of time between billing due dates on your credit card during which no interest charges accrue. I'm going to spice it up and go with C again. Okay. Both of you are wrong. Oh, no. Yes, it's A. So the grace period, the number of days after making a purchase on your credit card before that amount is subject to to interest charges. So they give you a grace period um, on a credit card. When they give you the due date, if you're past that, it's it's um, uh, it's late, okay? If you have a due date and it's due, you have 10 days in some cases for a mortgage that they give you a grace period, but they can still turn around and give you um, a penalty. But they say the 15th but it was actually due the first, that's when they start talking about these um, uh, grace periods. Credit card grace, sure. I'll give you a little detail here. Credit card grace periods are frequently misunderstood for good reason. It can be complicated. Credit card companies are not required to have grace periods, but many do, typically two components. Most cards that have grace periods won't charge interest on a balance that's paid within the grace period. 
If they have this type of grace period, they are required to send your statement at least 21 days before the ending of the grace period. There's also often a grace period on new purchases where those purchases are not included in the balance sub subject to interest charges. So sometimes you'll have something, you wait two or three weeks, there's still no charge on it, hmm. and you, then you have your time to pay gotcha. it after that. So yeah, it's a little bit a uh, little bit confusing between that and similar situation, like I say, with mortgages. Uh, you have, um, uh, it's due on the first, but you've got to like the 15th or 16th or something like that. And they don't charge until after that last date. So even though they say the first, they're giving you 15 days to pay it. So it's almost like a little bit of a grace period, but gotcha. uh, interest is still being charged because it's a long-term situation. So they're, they're not gonna lose their, uh, their money. Which statement about a credit score is true? Paying for things with cash directly impacts your credit score. Using your debit card can impact your credit score if you select credit when paying it. Uh, using a prepaid value card can impact your credit score. Or using your credit card can impact your credit score. I'm gonna, I don't know, it's a tough one. Um, <laughs> D? Yeah, D. D. D is it. That was sort of a gimme. Okay. And, uh, but there's a couple more in here that uh, it may shake you to your bones. Oh okay. I didn't say it was going to be this one, <laughs> okay, but there'll be in here. Say, is that one? No, not mm. this one. Okay. Which statement about minimum monthly payments is not true? Making minimum payments is best for improving your credit score in the short term. Banks view consistent minimum payments as a red flag that you are in danger of default. Paying only minimum uh, payment costs, paying only the minimum payment costs you many times more in interest than what you charge to begin with. Banks now have to disclose to you how long it will take to pay off your loan balance by paying only the minimum monthly amount. I've got some Side long note. answers to these things. I forgot yeah. what I was, what huh. was the subject? I, <laughs> Side note, um, yes. D is definitely true. Mm -hmm. I review my statements, mm -hmm. and it would take me 16 years to pay off my Best Buy credit card mm -hmm. oh, no. if I only paid the minimum payment. So I don't want to do that. Uh, a. Uh, the one with the red flags. That was B. That was B. Yeah. As like you're not gonna you're gonna default on all, all that. Right. I'm gonna go with B. It's A. Making minimum payments is best for improving your credit score in the short term. But in the long term, paying Not minimums good. is going to cost you oh, yeah. a lot more. Right. Okay. Gotcha. So it's one of those things. I think um, if you're paying the minimum, just pay off your card. Like if you've got uh, gas you're doing every month, or yeah, a couple hundred bucks. I had my off. I had my first credit card bill just because I finally got one oh, like, was... a couple of months back and. I used it to buy one of the cameras here, and I was expecting it to be a little bit higher. I think it was like $75, $50, something, something ridiculously low. And I was like, that's, I, I don't want to just. How much did you charge? Um, $47,000. Yeah, it'll take you to your 712 years old <laughs> to pay that off. <laughs> no, it was um something like 400 bucks. Okay. Just on my credit card because I split them. Okay. But it was like. $50, and I put way more than that, but I was surprised that that's how low it was for the minimum payment. That was the minimum? Yeah, okay. something something low like that. Well, it's how just, is the bank going to get their money if, if your minimum payment is 
150. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I completely get that. I was just expecting it to be a lot more because it's the first card I ever got. Yeah. But I saw that and I was like, that's that's low. You charge 400. <laughs> you owe us 700. <laughs> Your first payment. You know. <laughs> oh, that's how these things work. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. That's a. What is a secured credit card? Um, a credit card for low credit score consumers. It requires a security deposit as collateral against non-payment. A credit card requiring a parent or other responsible adult as co-signer. A credit card that requires the use of a two-factor authentication. A credit card that has a security chip and additional security features for online purchases. I'm going to say D for secure purchases. Yeah. D. It it's, sense. it's A. What? A credit card for low credit score consumers requires a security deposit as collateral. A secured credit card. So what they're doing is saying it's like a, a prepaid credit card. So it might be $1,000. Well, you have to have $1,000 on deposit with them. And then it's basically like I've got the, you're almost using it as a debit card because I've got this side fund here with this 1000 bucks, but it's a credit card. And they just don't trust you. Huh. Now, what I, kind of What kind of deposit would you have to put down on that? You can get them for, you know, they might only give you 500 bucks, $1,000, whatever. So it's really just your money. Oh yeah, it's your money. You're it's like a prepaid account. It'd be almost like a mini savings account and you're just going to draw off of it, but it's a credit card. So you're prepaying that credit card. So it's my okay, so it's my $500. <laughs> it's right. And you're you making credit on it though? Then? What's that? You make credit on it though. Yeah, you build your credit score with it. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, oh, okay. Right. I guess that's not a bad idea honestly. Like I would um what's the minimum age to get a credit card? Is it 18 or 21 now? I that I don't know. It's a good question. Um I would think 18, but... I, I got my first one when I was 18, so I'm thinking that would be something good, you know, is someone who's right out of high school yeah. to teach them, you know, the aspects of this is your own credit card yeah. rather than, you know, them racking up interest charges mm. and all that stuff that they could, you know, your parents could, you know, help set you up on, sure. hey, you have a $1,000, here's how you learn how to use this money well, exactly. and pay it back. And the, and the parents could give you, um, I mean, they could say, hey, here's 5,000 bucks, go to college and you can use it. And if, you know, it's on beer and pizza, you know, the parents shouldn't have given you $5,000. They should right. have given you here. This one's for beer and pizza. It's eight fifty. Eight dollars <laughs> This one's for books yeah. and, you know, all that <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, for and... all the other stuff. But um, so, yeah, they end up, um, so you build up credit. They give you the ability to credit, but they just say, you know, you might have a 500 credit score. And it's like, yeah, we're never going to get paid from these guys. So if they happen to come up, maybe somebody gifted you a thousand bucks and you put it on there. Right. And that's one way to start and uh, and build it up. But yeah, that, that would be a, a secured credit card. So anyway okay number 10 you guys have to love this one. Oh, oh by the way the score is uh me dean six <laughs> rem four loser four <laughs> i let you win last time yeah i guess so <laughs> yeah go ahead yeah see i could care less these guys are so smart they're just <laughs> oops i'm sorry what was that i was it's hot in here Anyway, if Selena, this is number 10, if Selena Gomez is on tour and forgets to pay her credit card on time, in other words, hint, hint, her assistant, what will she most likely be charged the following month? A late fee, but no interest if she pays in full. Interest on all the new charges. The grace period does not apply when payments are late. Interest on the average daily balance plus a late fee. No fees if she fires the person she expected to pay this for her. That assistant. 
again didn't pay her bill. Hmm. Okay. Um, I know, and I don't know if this is for like every bank or if this is 100% accurate or not, but aren't you allowed to get some late fees occasionally waived and all that? Like if you tell them like, you get like a you can ask for them yeah for, you know it's not a guarantee. Selena Gomez doesn't know how to do that. You're right. <laughs> um, that assistant that she's going to fire right. did. Yeah. What was option C? Uh, interest on the average daily balance plus a late fee. And that's for the next months. Um, yeah. What will she be most likely be charged the following month? What's B again? That's one of that interest like, on all the new charges. The grace period does not apply when payments are late. I'm going to go C. Not very strong about this one at all. <laughs> I'm going to go with C. I like all the answers. I'm yeah. going to go with B. Okay. B is the right answer. Interest on all the charges. Grace period does not apply. Issuers charge late fees for payments that are not made on time. Any payment not made by the due date will certainly be outside of the grace period and subject to interest charges. In this example, not paying by the due date will cause both a late charge and interest on the average daily balance. Hmm. Them damn that, credit cards. That <laughs> has to happen a lot, yeah. Number 11, how often are the three major credit uh, bureaus required to provide you with a free copy of their credit report? Three times per year in total between the three uh, bureaus, once every 12 months from each of the three bureaus, once each year from all of the three bureaus at once, or only when you sign up for a credit monitoring service? Once per year per the bureaus. So I think that's B. Uh, once each year from all three bureaus at once, or once every 12 months from each of the three bureaus? Once every 12 months from each of the three. Yeah, okay. I don't think they do it all at once together. I don't think they're that organized. No. Say. So it's it's B, yeah. Okay. So every on an annual basis, you can get... Uh, you can get an Equifax this month, a TransUnion in three months, and then an Experian six months later, as long as it's within 12 months. Right. But they have to give them to you every 12 months. They have to give you one, but isn't it if you are constantly like getting your credit score or something like that, it negatively affects you by like continuously pulling that up and checking it? Or <sighs> They got what they call soft credit pulls and then hard credit pulls. Yeah. And when you're applying for credit and you get it, that's a hard credit pull. Sometimes you can go to three or four different places. They'll each pull it, but if they don't give it to you, it's considered soft, and you should be able to go back and ask them to take that off so it doesn't okay. harm anything. So there's a couple of different ways that they do that. And, um, you know, yeah, you don't want to be pulling it a lot, but right. you also don't get all of the details in the free ones. So yeah. To get some of the detailed scoring and that, but they'll, they'll give you pretty much everything that you yeah. need to know. Because I just know when I went to I went to get a car a while back, and they did a uh, just a credit check, and they mm -hmm. pulled all that. We got a bunch of stuff in the mail a while back, like I want to say like five or six different um, envelopes addressed to us, and mm -hmm. like, hey, your credit was checked, and we ran all this. It was like ran it like five or six different times and mm -hmm. it was ridiculous yeah they'll hit you about three or four points every time that thing is checked so if you're trying to go shopping stuff around you go to 10 mortgage companies uh you could be down 30 40 points pretty easily if they all go through and and, mm -hmm. and do a, a hard credit pull on you uh number 12 what is generally considered a good credit score 
to the FICO scoring models, 80 to 100, 5 to 600, 670 to 739, or 800 to 850. Hey, run those numbers back again. This is Um, for a good credit score, right? uh, Yes, considered a good credit score according to the FICO scoring models, 80 to 100, 500 to 600, 670 to 739, 800 to 850. Because they've got poor, good... Uh, excellence and superior. Or something. What was it? Six seventy to seven thirty nine. Yeah, is the good. Yeah. So I'm going with that one. I okay. want to say I just, like I said, I just got my credit card and I can check. They got that little uh, speedometer. Oh yeah. Thing on there, and I had a seven twenty, and it was saying that was good. So I'm gonna go with that. Okay. Yep. Six seventy to seven thirty nine. Uh, I was see. very surprised I had good credit. <laughs> yeah. This is from about average. It says just below currently to a bit over. So, yeah. Uh, What factor has the biggest impact on your credit score as determined by FICO? Length of credit history, credit utilization percentage, number of credit inquiries, or payment history. They all do impact it. When we say payment history, do we mean like whack, like like a late history or like a late... Payment history is like, are you on time all the time? That's the one that matters the most. That's that's what they're asking. I'm not saying nothing. (laughs) You're telling me, okay. Mm -hmm. What are you? Say say that all again. Okay. Length of credit history, credit utilization percentage. So if you've got $1,000, your credit utilization, if you're using 700, it's 70% of it. And they usually want you at 30% or below. Uh, Number of credit inquiries or payment history. Yeah, with A. Length of credit history. No, it's payment history. Making those payments on time. The single largest factor in determining credit score is your payment history. Payment history accounts for thirty-five percent of your score. So, I think what, utilization is uh, like thirty percent. It's close. So, like you're right. You know, if you have you know a high utilization rate, mm. that'll harm you pretty well too. Oh but yeah, you miss a payment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, You're (laughs) You're done. You're dead meat for a couple of years. (laughs) Right. What's the first step uh, you should take if your identity is stolen? Notify local law enforcement. Place a fraud alert on your credit profile. Notify the Postmaster General as the Postal Service is responsible for identity protection in the United States. Notify the companies at which you believe your identity or identifying information has been compromised. I would assume that smartest thing to do would be put out that fraud alert i mean just so that way it's it's out there and it's noted and then maybe hit up all the uh the companies they might be associated with on there yeah. you might have those flipped but i'm thinking the put out the fraud alert i would say fraud alert mm-hmm. it is flipped notify the companies at which you believe your identity or uh has been compromised wow yes okay. notify the institution Okay. It was almost there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can minimize the chances of becoming an identity theft victim by only sharing passwords with your closest friends and relatives, printing your emails and shredding them to destroy identifying information, minimizing uh, social media, the usage of social media, deleting antivirus software from your computer after each use. Okay. Let, I'm just going to give them. 
it's not D. Okay, <laughs> we're not C? we're not using that. C. Uh, the shredding of documents. I, wait, <laughs> hey, what was C? Just I minimizing I feel... your use of social media. Is C. And this is to prevent identity theft. Yes, to to help uh, uh, avoid becoming an identity theft victim. Yes. Are you just are you goofing? <laughs> C. I'm going B. Shredding oh, the documents. Printing your shredding to uh, let's see, printing your emails and shredding them to destroy identifying information. No, it's lack of social media or what? minimizing social Rem, media. What, what does social what? media have to do with your <laughs> Rem? What it, what is going to happen if I go on your computer and print out an email and then shred it? Okay. It's still on your email. I get that, but what is what is me not being on on Instagram have to do with getting like my social security, like my identity all I, I just I, maybe I, I heard or like Because here's what overthinking happens. it? Here's what happens. People go people go on Facebook and they overshare. They tell you too much about themselves. Okay, I don't so do you that. Can, That's so why you, I thought it was a dumb answer. Right, right. So I don't. Well, there's do, a lot I don't of other either. dumb millennials. Well, I and get there's that. Dumb boomers. That's why I right. thought the and only other option that would make Gen sense Z. is shredding your documents because yeah. I barely get on Instagram or anything. I, so it was just foreign to me. I, I so when you're talking <laughs> when you're talking about identity theft and you go in, and you get into further depth with it, a lot of websites you have security answers, right? right. You know your favorite car, your favorite movie, your all that. All that stuff is is on there. Someone could scour your Facebook page or your Instagram and yeah, kind of potentially figure out what I, your favorite is I get, or I what get your sc- first school was or your yeah. favorite teacher, you know, that stuff. So I guess you have I to be careful. don't overshare like that. It just seems foreign to me. That's so weird. So you're like, you, you're pulling an 80 year old grandma. Yeah. I'm going to print I, my emails out and shred them. I, that's the only Oh, wait, other grandma, one. they're still on the computer. <laughs> Well, what do you know? We have two millennials that don't utilize social media. <laughs> okay, that's let's chalk that one up. <laughs> hey, uh, what what number question is this next one? The next one is sixteen. Okay, it's it's eleven to seven right now. Oh, I Lord. think I think okay. my numbering's right. I might have missed one though. Okay, if Jackie's identity is stolen, she should file a formal complaint with the Federal Reserve Bank, the Federal Trade Commission, Department of Revenue in California. The National Credit Union Association. FTC. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> if this was Jeopardy, I might have just won. If the answer's right. <laughs> what was what was the... Run, run through one more time. All right. The Federal Reserve Bank, the Federal Trade Commission, Department of Revenue in California, the National Credit Union Association. I'll do the FTC. Yeah, FTC. That's it. Federal Trade Commission handles theft um, uh, available for consumers. Uh, let's see. FTC is an agency that handles identity theft and has a wealth of information available for consumers, including a step-by-step process for dealing with identity theft at identitytheft.gov. Okay, identitytheft.gov. So if you do have any uh, situations that you um, think it may have been compromised or stolen or something, identitytheft.gov. And uh, that'll give you all the information you need. Contact FTC. Number 17, if you invest $1,000 at 5% interest compounded annually, after two years, you will have $1,100, slightly more than $1,100, 2000 
or it can't be determined from the above information. What was the question again? If you invest $1,000 at 5% interest compounded annually, after two years, you will have what? Oh, God, I'm How much money? Math. <clears throat> what was B? Slightly more than 1100 A was 1100 C was 2000 B cannot be determined from the information provided. Let's say uh, slightly more than 1100 Okay. Now, in the grand scheme of things, is 2000 considered slightly more than eleven? I mean, if we're if we're stretching in the this questioning out. format, yes. <laughs> is He's it trying slightly, to get a two for oneer. Yeah, uh, a two for and a oneer. Hmm. Uh, slightly over. I mean, I feel like two thousand is too much. It'll do slightly over eleven. Yeah, that's it. Because first of all, you'd have five percent, which would be uh, take it from a thousand to a uh, thousand fifty. And then that compounds, so now you get five percent on a thousand fifty, so it would end up being um, eleven hundred two dollars and five and fifty cents. Gotcha. So that's what you'd be looking at. Okay, the concept of paying yourself first refers to keeping a reasonable portion of your income for travel and entertainment. Hmm. Sounds like me. That's right. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but. Uh, allocating funds into savings and investment accounts before putting money towards other needs, receiving a portion of your take-home pay in cash to use for discretionary expenses, or making sure you have enough for yourself before paying back your friends. B, investing, investing in saving. Uh, allocating funds and investments in savings. What saving. was C? C was receiving a portion of your take-home pay in cash to use for discretionary expenses. Oh, I'll have to go with B. B. Yep, it's B. Pay yourself first, put it in savings and stuff, and then pay everybody else. Just put the money right in the mattress. You got it. You got it. 19, the concept of opportunity cost is best described as taking a job for a paycheck instead of doing what you love, uh, what you give up in future worth to attain satisfaction in the present. It's that old delayed need gratification. I want it. I want it now. There's that J.G. Wentworth. That's my money, and I want it now. <laughs> yeah. Um, selecting the wrong investment option when faced with multiple choices or the sum of your investment returns in excess of historical returns divided by two. This hmm. is for opportunity costs? Yes. I'm going to go with B, but I'm not heavy on it. Uh, what was C again? Selecting the wrong investment option when faced with multiple choices, and opportunity D, cost. D like, was the, oh, sorry. Oh, no. And D was the sum of your investment returns in excess of historical returns divided by two. So the opportunity cost, if I do this, I lose out on that. So what, if I should have, if I could have done that, what am I going to be losing by choosing this? Hey, run through, run through them all now that you said okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> Concept of opportunity cost is best described as taking a job for a paycheck instead of doing what you love, what you give up in future worth to attain satisfaction in the present, selecting the wrong investment option when faced with multiple choices, or the sum of your investment returns in excess of historical returns divided by two. I D, I'm just guessing here. Nope, it's B. What you give up in future worth to attain satisfaction. Opportunity cost is the cost of the future opportunity, <clears throat> excuse me, you miss by spending money in the present. 
In other words, what you give up in the future to attain satisfaction in the present. So it's like, I'm going to go buy that new Corvette when I could have. What's wrong with that? (laughs) (laughs) When I could have saved that and in 40 years from now, that Corvette was gone for 30 years and I have, I could have had a hundred thousand (laughs) dollars. Dean just got a a used vet, but it looks like the Batmobile and he he still won't bring it by the office to have us see it. I don't know what it is. It might rain today. Yeah, it could rain today. I don't want to get it. Uh, I don't want to get the paint wet or anything. Wah, wah, wah. Okay. <laughs> He's going to go home and watch it. All right. It here's the, here's the, uh, the, final, the final Jeopardy answer is, okay, number 20. Shirley begins saving $2,000 per year into her retirement plan at age 22. Stan begins saving $2,000 per year in his retirement plan at age 30. Both gain an average of 8% per year on their accounts. At age 65, they will each have the same amount in their retirement accounts because they receive the same percentage returns. They will most likely run out of money at the same time because women live longer than men. Why is it they're going to say spend more or something? (laughs) Glad I didn't say that. Yeah. Cut that out of here. Uh, Surely will have Shirley, don't call me Shirley, what was that? (laughs) Shirley will have over 50% more money in her retirement account. Whoa. Stan has plenty of time to catch up. It's only eight years. Shirley started first. Shirley started at 22. Stan starts at 30. Uh, He's doing more or both? they're both doing the same? Doing the same. 2,000 a year at 8%. All right, see. Shirley will have over 50% more money in her retirement account. Yeah. That's it. There are calculations showing that, uh, in fact, I have to go back. These are old stuff that I'd have to look at. But if somebody was like 18 or 20 and just put $2,000 the old way in the IRAs that they did for like, I think it was five years. Don't quote me on this, but I think it was like five years. They put 10 grand away and let it sit till they're 65. And if they get a five or 6% return, they don't have to have a huge return on that. They'll have a million bucks. My dad has a book. Uh, it's called, uh, oh God, it's like the 18-year-old millionaire, something like that. Yeah. It's like if you start at the age 18, you somehow find like five to 10 grand. They have a chart in there and they tell you what to do with your money. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a step-by-step guide on how to have a million dollars when you retire. Well, and that's the, the amazing thing about it is um, they put in, I, I want to say it's five years. So from like uh, 18 to 23. So they put 10 grand in. And the other person doesn't do anything till 30, but yet they put in from 30 to 65, they still won't make a million dollars with what they've done because of the delay. And what that is, is the um, uh, compound interest. And that's, uh, that's why it's so important that uh, when you uh, have like a, a three, 5%, whatever that is, and it compounds. The longer time you have, all of a sudden it just grows and grows and grows. It's like it's almost like the thing that uh, if you have a penny and double it by the end of the month, you oh, literally yeah. have a million dollars. Yeah. I'm sitting there going, this ain't going to work. I the last, wish. Yeah, the last three days, I can't find enough pennies. You know, right. <laughs> it's like, But yeah, it's, uh, it's true. If you uh, start with a penny and double it uh, by the 30th day, you'll have over a million dollars. It's crazy. 
Anyway, uh, normally this, uh, what was, I had the statistics on this. Uh, where? Final score, uh, I had 16, Rem had 11. Okay. Well, both of you guys done better because normally um, the people that have taken this are lucky if they get 10 out of uh, 10 out of 20. Oh, I'm just so above it's 50%. Average. So I'm impressed. Well, see, he overstudied. You did just right. Why yeah. spend all that extra time ah. when you still passed? Right? right. Yeah. Hey, you still got the. You wasted all this time. I Listen, I thought I didn't know it was a pass fail. I thought it was ABC. Oh, okay. <laughs> if I'd have known it was a pass fail, I would have got a lot. Well, you're too. both okay. In sight of the millennials, you both get ice cream after this. Okay, <laughs> you both the winners. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Uh, all right. Well, we just thought we'd break it up and have a little bit of fun and and learning at the same time. Uh, as always, um, like us, love us. Uh, contact us we want content i want to hear from you guys okay uh what is it that we may have been missing that uh you want to know more about okay what's that uh, email john that email i'm glad you asked hey, yeah it's uh jcindia at lifestagesadvisory.com uh use it don't abuse it make sure that uh <laughs> you want some phishing emails i can send you some no i don't that's uh <laughs> in fact i got one the other day but that's in another um We'll probably be talking about uh, cybersecurity and catch up on where we're at in yeah, a, a couple episodes that, before. Yeah, yeah and uh, refresh everybody. But until next time, thanks a lot. Uh, hope to hear from you and uh, see you soon. Thanks.